Hello, everyone, and welcome to Love, Joy, and Languages, a podcast about loving languages and finding joy in learning them. I'm your host, Heidi Lovejoy, and today I have a wonderful interview to share with you. But before we get there, I want to let you know that I'm wrapping up season one of this podcast in two weeks with my 20th episode, and I want to get you all involved. Throughout the season finale episode, I'm going to be sharing and celebrating all of your all's language wins. What has happened in your language life recently that you are super excited about and want to share? It can be absolutely anything. Nothing is too big or too small. Maybe you remembered a tricky word and it just rolled off your tongue. Maybe you had a successful language exchange or mastered a certain verb tense. You reached your goal of learning five new words in a week, or you spoke a single sentence to your cat. It doesn't matter what it is, you should be so proud of your successful moments, and I want to lift you up by sharing your stories. If you'd like to share a win to be included in the season finale in two weeks, please send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter by Wednesday, July 20th with your achievement. You can send an audio message or a text, but any way to share your story, and I will have it included. Now, on to my special guest of the day. This week, I'm bringing you into a delightful chat I had with linguist, teacher, author, podcaster, and all-around colorful human being, Emily Richardson. Emily holds degrees in modern languages and linguistics, as well as applied linguistics, where she specialized in language, mind, and brain. She has eight years of classroom experience teaching English, French, Mandarin, and Spanish. After a brief spell in the artificial intelligence industry, the 2020 pandemic hit and she found herself unemployed with no income, no stable home, and feeling very lost. During this time, Emily set about learning Brazilian Portuguese at home, focusing only on speaking the language with language exchange partners. Emily uses her experience as a linguist and language learner during the pandemic to author the How to Be Me series of books to guide language learners to finding their voice and preserve their whole selves in their new languages. Emily is also the host and creator of the Language Confidence Project, a podcast for all language learners, whether they have to or want to learn a language. In her short daily episodes, Emily provides tips, tricks, and tons of encouragement for all language learners throughout every step of their journey. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Emily Richardson. Welcome, Emily, to Love, Joy, and Languages podcast. I am so, so, so very excited to have you here and talking about languages and listening to your story and diving into all the stuff that you've got going on. So, welcome. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. So for anyone, uh, well, I guess nobody knows. So for all of our listeners, Emily and I have touched base a couple of times over the years, but mostly just this past year, maybe even just six months or so, when I heard her speak at the Women in Language Conference in 2020, I believe it was, talking about her journey with Portuguese. And it was a really interesting talk. So two and a half years later, I think I contacted her and was like, hey, I really liked that talk you gave. You said some interesting things. Can we chat more? And so we've been chatting over Instagram for a while and talking about all the stuff we have going on. And um, you're way more interesting than I even realized in the beginning, <laughs> because your talk at Women in Language was about your journey with Portuguese. And I'm sure you gave background information about your whole history, but it wasn't until recently an interview you did with Speaking Tongues podcast where you went into your history and I was like, you've done so much with languages in your life. 
So let's start there with your history of languages and what has brought you to the language community. Okay, um, it's a difficult one to summarize because I have done quite a lot of disparate things with languages. Um, so I started learning at school French at the age of 11, just like everybody else at the time. We didn't have other languages offered at our school, only French. And to be honest, they complained about having to offer French. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so... You know, I enjoyed French lessons. I was quite open to textbook learning. You know, I was I was naturally quite comfortable in any classroom. That was my safe space. So all quite good. And then I started self-teaching Spanish at the age of 14. Interestingly, because I discovered Shakira and I thought <laughs> what I really need. And the funny thing is I was talking to Lindsay from Lindsay Does Languages last that. week. She's yes. the same. <laughs> she said exactly the same thing, but an earlier album. That is so Imagine funny. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, so I started learning Spanish. Um, I studied French at university and linguistics. And I did language teaching in French and Spanish, taught in secondary schools. And I taught in an adult special school. And... I then moved to China and taught English there. Wow. And I did a master's in applied linguistics where I based all of my study on language and dementia and language and visual imagery. So although it was about languages in a kind of way, most of it was it was neuro and, and psycholinguistics and, and how the brain really sees language as a concept. That, that is yeah. so fascinating. All right, so we have to have a completely different chat just about that because <laughs> that would be very interesting to get into as well. So then where does that bring you? You have French and Spanish and you've taught and you've studied linguistics. Yep. So what happened was I was at a bit of a crossroads. I quit. I, I moved out of teaching and I started a new job in a completely new industry, which was AI as a conversational analyst. And I quit after three months and one day. and. I did not know this, the world did not know this, but the pandemic was just around the corner. So I got to the third stage of interview with three other jobs and I did none of the third interviews because we went into lockdown and they all withdrew. I lost almost everything, to be honest. And I decided the only way out of that was to learn Brazilian Portuguese. <laughs> so you've lost because, almost everything you say well Portuguese is the next step that's what I'm gonna do Portuguese is the obvious answer to all my problems <laughs> so um that is exactly what I did and I did it through online language exchanges I spent what happened was it was it was such a bleak time and I started just talking to people I wasn't ready yet you know I didn't have lots of language but what I did have was the knowledge of how to communicate really well with not many words so I started on language exchanges in week one of my Brazilian Portuguese journey I spoke to the same people for two years straight and actually the last person has now 
graduated uni and got a job so I stopped speaking to her last Friday that was our so I'll still keep in touch and everything but in terms of weekly conversations we've been speaking since March of 2020 and she has now she's starting a full-time job this week um that's amazing though that's a that's such I don't know if it's luck or you just have a really good algorithm for finding language exchange partners because that's not easy to find people and to find people committed, especially for that long and that that you can easily, you know, your personalities just click and your timing and your your boundaries all click and you can keep going for that long. That's really amazing. Yeah, so I speak to a lot more people Mm -hmm. than just the first five are the ones that stay on that journey with me the whole time Um, but there are lots and lots of ways to make sure that you do bring the right people to you and I think I think I'm getting I'm always getting better at finding more people and the right people Mm -hmm. yeah what kind of tips do you have because I started I learned about tandem during the Mm -hmm. pandemic and the first day I was like oh my goodness this is amazing and I'm just text chatting people in Italian at the time and after that I would make contact with people and I was always where are you from what do you do and they just die off and there's no more yeah. contact with them. And for me, I think most of the people, their English was such at a higher level than my Italian mm-hmm. was that an exchange wouldn't have made sense. But just finding someone where you can go deeper in text before even talking to each other about what do you do and where are you from and what's your life like? And then what? How do you find people to go past the and then what? So I didn't go into text first. I made it really clear on my profile that I wanted people to do video calls with straight away, even when all I had was the greetings. So the way I always start with a language or the way I will now is um, I started with the greetings, some praise words and um, some words about the pandemic, because obviously that was the topic on everyone's lips at the time. Mm -hmm. So instead of really starting with the where are you from stuff, because quite often that's in people's profiles. um, I started with a conversation about the pandemic. I use my profile to really spell out what I'm looking for and the topics I want to talk about. And I contact people who have had really good reviews not Mm. necessarily hundreds Mm. of reviews but reviews that really go into what they're trying to do what sort of conversation partner they were and I always avoid people who have hundreds of reviews because I figure if you're a review collector you are not going to be sticking around in a year's time because probably you're looking to speak to as many people as possible Mm -hmm. So I did immediately look for people who said they wanted to talk and I filtered to only my gender, which helps a lot in a whole load of ways. I think many of us have learned the hard way that that is really just kind of a necessary, at least for women anyway, it's it's a necessary just to be able to be taken seriously and not have to constantly just ignore and delete messages that come in all the time. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I didn't speak to men. It's that I found men I wanted to speak to via their reviews and mm-hmm. I contacted them mm-hmm. um, because it's not about saying language exchanges should 
or need to be a female only space in order to be a safe space but it's just filtering out all of the people that treat it like tinder exactly Um, exactly yeah I like your point about the reviews because that gives me something to think about as well as someone who leaves reviews for language exchanges. And I've only had a few that turned out to be very successful, but in leaving a review, it's for some people not enough to just say, great partner, always available. That detailed review that you look for can be really, really helpful for other people who are taking it seriously, especially as fast as you did just going in uh, a yeah, good language partner isn't enough to give a really thorough Mm -hmm. idea of what the person's going to be like and also if you're sending a message out to people to to start a conversation I think the most important thing is to show that you've read their profile the worst thing is to receive hundreds of messages that say hi how are you and then you almost know that that conversation is probably not going to go anywhere if your profile is really quite content heavy even the little things like people's profile picture if they're somewhere interesting or if they've got a dog next to them or you know those kinds of things people remarking on those things and starting a conversation that way it kind of shows that they're interested in you as a person and in having a real conversation rather than just going through that hello how are you I'm fine loop that drives everybody mad yes and then it just stops and no one knows where to go. And after so many days, you're like, oh, now it would be awkward to say more. So one thing that you said was that you started off knowing you learned greetings and you learned praise words and pandemic vocabularies. So then where did you go from there? Because I'd imagine as a teacher and a learner, you've had so much experience and, you know, the classroom standard of your name, your introductions, animals, colors, numbers, and things like that are like the beginner vocabulary that they always have. So where did you pick up more vocabulary? What did you all focus on in order to do that? So I didn't really focus on the textbook natural progression because my goal in Portuguese was to speak. I wasn't doing any exams or moving to any, you know, moving anywhere or anything like that. So where I started once I'd got my praise words, was on finding people to talk to. Once I'd found people to talk to and we were on our video calls, I had my phone. Uh, I was talking on my phone, so I'd got mobility. And we just sort of went around our houses um, and I'd show them objects, you know, physically show them objects. I'd tell them, oh, important to say, I always, always spoke only to beginners. Mm -hmm. So they had almost no English. I had almost no Portuguese because I found very, very early on that if you speak to intermediate or advanced speakers when you're a beginner, nothing is worse for the doubts crowding in, feeling, you know, not good enough, feeling like you're going to be annoying, all of those sorts of things, those negative emotions. Mm -hmm. So I spoke to people with almost no English. And we'd just go around the house with my phone and I would show them objects. I'd tell them what they were in English. I would ask them what they were in Portuguese. They would repeat them in English. I'd use my praise words. I'd feel very clever. (laughs) And that meant that even though I didn't have Portuguese yet, I did have that connection Mm -hmm. with people because Mm -hmm. I still had the smiling and I could still teach them stuff. And it just felt like a friendship was starting and that's all I really wanted and from there once we would got a little bit stronger 
um, we would agree on topics to study and we would both study them before our call and then we would just test each other on vocabulary and things like that loads of praise words opportunities there for extra feeling clever and that meant that we were speaking before we could speak and then we progressed to asking us each other lots of questions uh, we went onto websites. A lot of them were for um, just conversation starters. Some of them are for things like dinner parties. Some of them are for dating, but they're just questions about various topics. We found as many as we could organize into topics that we wanted to study. We'd study them together. We'd agree the questions in advance. So we weren't reading a script to each other by the time the call rolled around but we had kind of rehearsed it, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. We'd got some nice phrases. We were learning a bit of grammar on the side, but it wasn't the forefront of our studies. It was when things came up. That's so brilliant. Yeah. And something you said a minute ago, you're speaking before you could speak. It, it really hits the nail on the head because this is a conversation I see over and over in the language community between people is when do you say you can speak a language or when do you start speaking language and so many people are oh I need at least a month to study before I start speaking I need this I need to at least reach a two before I start speaking and yeah. there's the other the other camp that says no you have to start speaking from day one and everyone has their reasons but I read a, a Twitter feed recently I think that was people discussing this and it was when do you start speaking and I said I mean for me I start speaking from day one that doesn't mean I'm having conversations it doesn't mean I go tell people I'm speaking German now but and other people challenge it saying yeah but that's just parroting isn't that what language learning is when my kids are learning words for things aren't they just parroting what they've heard me say like that is the natural progression of things we don't learn by taking it all in and then all of a sudden magically it comes out of our mouths so speaking from day one even if you're not a speaker of the language but I can say hi how are you this is a door I open the door I close the door do you open the door do you close the door you're not having yeah. may maybe not a real big conversation and maybe it's not internalized to you but you're saying the words and you're using the words and you're you're letting your mouth move and get that mm -hmm. muscle memory and the muscle memory in your brain to be able to say them again like that that's speaking I'm I'm in the camp that if you're saying the words you're speaking that's absolutely it. and I think so many people still imagine language exchanges or other forms of conversation as we both sit statically in front of a computer screen and we mm -hmm. have a conversation just like we do in our native language. Mm -hmm. But there are so many steps from being a complete beginner with zero to being able to have those sorts of conversations, even if they're, you know, simplified compared mm -hmm. with what you would do as a native speaker. Um, and I, I also think, and this is something that the Language Confidence Project really wants to fight, is the idea that language learning is so wrapped up in an identity that we need to be able to um, become worthy of before we're allowed to assume it. Mm. I really like this strategy that you take on too, because a lot of times language exchanges are 15 minutes in my native language, 15 minutes in yours or an hour or whatever. And that can put a lot of pressure on the person who's not the native speaker, because when it's my 15 minutes of, you know, we're speaking English, well, that's easy for me. I can kind of take a break and relax. But if I'm the second speaker, if my learned language is the second one, I'm kind of nervous during the whole first time. And then I'm thinking about what am I going to say? And it doesn't 
really create that conversation that you're talking about where you're just back yeah. and forth. This is how I say it. This is how you say it. This is how I say it. This is how you say it. And then repeating, it takes that mm-hmm. pressure of, all right, now it's my time. Now all the, the ears are on me and am I going to make mistakes? My sticks are so big and so obvious. And now they're going to judge me for it. It just really sounds like it takes that pressure off. Yeah. And I, I also think that having visuals around you, whether that is because you're taking someone on a house tour or a tour of your kitchen, people are obsessed with what food people eat. And nobody, <laughs> people get so excited when you like open your kitchen cupboards and your fridge and you say, you know, these are the things that we eat here. And this is the stuff we cook with on a daily basis, you know, comparing shopping lists is weirdly compelling um but there are so many other ways you can do that if you're on an online language exchange and you can share your screen going on to um websites for fashion for jewelry for you know google images of pretty places whatever Mm -hmm. if you've got those things you can also be talking about what's in front of you and it's nowhere near as pressured because you can do pointing mm-hmm. if you need to with your cursor or whatever. It takes the pressure off from just trying to magic words into existence or translate what's in your head with nothing to support you. I love that. So to this day, you've been learning Portuguese for two and a half years or so. Yeah. So have you used other resources as well or have you pretty much stuck to this language exchange we're doing this together thing is that your main resource that is my uh, yes no textbooks no grammar books no tutors I I just want to be left alone to enjoy this time with people because this was I mean in some ways it was an experiment and it was the best one I ever did because I've come away with so many people that I you know I some of them I spoke to every day during the pandemic and many more of them I've spoken to once a week for you know years now and I feel like I know them as well as my friends here and they're on Mm -hmm. the other side of the world that's so incredible Um, so then I I have to ask the question but what do you feel like your spoken level of Portuguese is after two and a half years of just speaking Portuguese I can safely say I don't embarrass myself. That is actually, that should be in the, in the CEFR. I don't embarrass myself. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, you know, there are, the thing with language learning is you're always going to uncover topics that you weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. And you see that with even like simultaneous bilinguals when they've learned two languages, but they spoke from the beginning, but they spoke one at home and one at school, for example, yes, yes. they don't have a perfect parallel between their two bilingual languages Mm -hmm. you know there are certain topics that they just can't really fathom in the language that they never used for that thing Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking about that today my son is going to enter first grade so he's going to go into the primary school next year we've been in Germany for one year and he's gone to the kindergarten where they you know they just they play mostly mm -hmm. and my daughter started German in the third grade. So her vocabulary in her third grade homework that I've helped her through is more advanced. You know, they're learning subject, predicate, verbs, and nouns, and things like that. And sometimes we get some other vocabulary just through the texts and sentences. But I was thinking just today that my son goes to primary school next year and he was speaking to me in English and he said something about a triangle. And I responded and said, Dreieck. And I was like, that's the only shape I know in German. 
this is new vocabulary that we're going to be picking up next year as he's going through classes because, or maybe we can work on it this summer so that he has that vocabulary, but just the different levels of the things you learn in school or talk about, it'll completely shape the vocabulary that you have. I mean, even if, if you speak one language at home and one at school, there are so many things you learn about at school that you probably won't then discuss when you've come home for the evening. Mm -hmm. And things like, you know, where, what language did you use when you went to the dentist? Or, you know, th those kinds of things. What makes us so um, competent as native speakers? It isn't just time, is it? It's all the things that we've done mm -hmm. in that language. Yeah. I'm reading a book to my kids right now in Italian, and it's one that we read a couple years ago during the pandemic. So it's like a first or second grade level, super cute book. And I'm still, I'm better at it now than I was two years ago. So I can see my own progress and I understand it deeper now than I did then, which is great. But mm -hmm. even still, I, my tongue just stumbles over certain words. Like I've never seen these words before, or I have because I read the book to them two years ago, but I don't remember. And there's so many words that I think, do native speakers really know these words? Yeah, <laughs> of course they do. Because in English, you know, when you're when you're reading books, the vocabulary is so bigger. You don't just say the person said this over and over. They said mm -hmm. it. They asked it. They exclaimed it. Like there's so many other synonyms you use in writing. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, how do native speakers know all of these synonyms? It's the same for any of us. But when you're learning a language, it, it seems so much bigger because yeah. we don't always learn those synonyms. Like if it suffices to say said, just say said over and over. And then when you're mm -hmm. ready to come across other words, when you're ready to include them, learn those. But yeah, that the whole yeah. native speaker and how we acquire all of that verbal knowledge. But also nice. don't forget how many iterations it would take a native speaker if they wanted to write a fiction book mm -hmm. or prepare a formal speech or something like that. Just because they know the language, as soon as you move out of your comfort zone, it's still hard to produce, right? And it takes a lot of goes. Absolutely. And you know this from personal experience now. That's a perfect segue into the books now with an S that you have Indeed. published. So what I did uh, as a little side project while all of this was going on was I put together some mini language journals to help language learners to really feel like a full, complete person in their language. Because one of the things that I think really bothered me when I was learning French and Spanish and Mandarin through more academic sort of formal roots was that through going topic to topic in this order with all of these set phrases, you stop feeling like a person and you start only talking within the breadth of your topics you know you've got all these opinions inside you and all these stories inside you and textbooks never seem to be able to give you the mm. space to go through the things that matter to you and it's quite jarring to think I was a person once with experiences and expertise and I've experienced so many things but not right now I haven't because in Spanish all I can say is these opinions using this set phrase and so I thought what would be really nice is if we could have a series of journals that really bring out the things that matter to you. So the one that I have just published is called Life Stories, Tales of Me, 
This is uh, all part of the How to Be Me series in French, Spanish, German, and Brazilian Portuguese. And what Life Stories does is it's just an opportunity to reflect on the stories you want to tell from the stuff that you've lived. And then you've got space to maybe write in full prose if you can, but there's no need to. You can draw little pictures and just label them, or you can stick stuff in, or you can write word lists of things you want to look up. It's just space that says, this is your prompt, and then let's see how your new language can work for you in helping you to tell that story. And then by the time you do come to your language exchanges or making friends, if you're, if you're living in the country, you've kind of done it before and you've prepared for them and you've given yourself permission to, to tell your stories. I really like this approach too, because one, it takes the pressure off of speaking, which we all want to do, but the journaling aspect of it allows you to, like you said, just be yourself in the language that you want to speak or that you are speaking in your own way while building the vocabulary that you would need in the future to have those conversations, but in a really low stress way. And I hear a lot about language learners saying, you know, I journal for 10 minutes every day, at least 15 minutes every single day in my target language. And I tried that for a while and it's just not for me. And no. I don't journal in my native language. Usually no. I go through, through stints where I might, if I really have something on my mind that I need to get off, but it's never consistent. So mm -hmm. I shouldn't expect myself to do that in my target languages. It's just not going to happen. So this still, it's, it's a tool that isn't as strict as some of these rules that we put on ourselves. I have to do it this way without a translator, without a dictionary, or if I do use a dictionary, I have to use it in this way. It just takes all that pressure off and lets people be themselves while mm. writing. Yeah. And I just think it's so important to have that. It's not something you need to do every day. It's, and, and people may well find that there are prompts in each journal that don't really speak to them. Well, mm -hmm. that's fine. They can ignore them. They can change them a little bit. But it's just, it's that thing of having somebody to ask you, but what about you when mm, you're learning mm -hmm. a language, you know? Mm -hmm. And the next one that's coming out probably next week is about where you live. And it's so that if you do take your language exchange partner or your friends on a tour of where you live and what sorts of things go on in your town, you've got things to say. And it also shows you where you live through the eyes of someone that lives on the other side of the world. Because mm -hmm. you kind of take it for granted when you've lived somewhere a long time. And even if you've moved around in your country, there are certain things that work the same way all the time. Mm -hmm. And then someone comes from far away and they're just astonished that a country can function that way, you know? That's really neat too, because for me, living in Italy for four years was like such a major part of my life and it changed mm -hmm. everything about me. And I have so much to say that I've learned about Italian culture and food and our friends there. And I don't have that vocabulary in German yet. So something like this would be good for exploring the vocabulary in German and then also in Italian, just for practicing two of them at the same time about something that I'm very, very passionate about as well. Do you have other ideas then for future books? already in the works. Yes. So we've got uh, seven books ready to go and they will be released 
every sort of six weeks up until Christmas. Wow. Um, so a whole yeah. series for Christmas gifts? How to Be Perfect. Me is an entire series of just different ways to bring the you out of your languages. Oh, that's so wonderful. This is, I, I don't know, for me, this is a life changer. I mean, this is a, anyone who's struggling in just learning languages at all, you know, like you said, you, you lose a part of yourself when you're just in the beginning and you can't express yourself at all. So for that person, or then for the intermediate learner who has more vocabulary and more grammar, but still is maybe stuck in the basic way of saying things, you know, it could be used as a prompt to expand and learn more of those synonyms and the advanced learner just as a journaling experience of getting things out that, uh, that maybe they want to talk to, like it, it speaks to everyone at every level. And I'm just going to keep singing his praises. So you've taken us through your journey of how you came to languages and how you came to Portuguese and how you've learned Portuguese. So where are you now with languages in your life? Okay, so where I am at now, I, so as you know, through the pandemic, I was unemployed and feeling rather sorry for myself. And I now have a job as an editor for a company that tracks what NGOs or charities are saying about big companies. And I do that in French and Spanish and Portuguese every day. Um, so I, I write a lot about oil and gas and mining and uh, indigenous you're never rights. About, probably. Um, <laughs> well, not exactly. You know, I, I don't want to be particularly having really heavy conversations most of the time, but it's, it's another insight into what countries are like. The things mm. that actually a lot of people living there wouldn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. They might know it's an issue, um, especially when it comes to things like, you know, destruction of the Amazon or indigenous rights and things like that. They, they know it's there, but to see how it all connects with how the rest of the world is, um, you know, in terms of supply chains and all of those kinds of things, nothing ever happens in a vacuum. And I think this job is really showing me that, you know, and I, I, it's mind blowing how much of it is so connected with what other companies, other countries are mm -hmm. doing and investing in and where they're sourcing everything from. Yeah. And you get to experience it from the other languages at the indeed same time. yes I'm re so I, I write my reports in English but it's all from source texts in mm -hmm. French or Spanish or Portuguese from the NGOs that are writing um, so that's where I'm at in terms of using my languages every day I don't take on second languages when I'm learning I, I'm very much I focus on one at a time so yeah there was no time in my Portuguese journey where I started to think hmm, maybe it's time for another one I, I can't do that <laughs> so Portuguese is your you learned French and Spanish earlier in life and you yeah. you learned them to a very high level enough to teach them anyway so Portuguese yeah. is then your first newly learned language since already having these two that you would call yourself fluent in and then now Portuguese and then I don't know. Do you have like an idea of at what point you might start feeling like you could add in another language or do you just have it, if if it comes, it'll come and you'll know at the time? So um, 
I don't know. I I am very much a fan of of depth rather than breadth mm-hmm. with languages. And mm-hmm. as I said, I've studied Korean as a teenager. I studied Mandarin because I lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, I until I can comfortably read books and talk about whatever I want with whoever I want and write copy in the language I don't know if I'm going to feel ready to move on to another one um and the the thought of losing it is so like I've put so much into it that I don't know if I could let it go because I've now found a shiny new language to Mm -hmm. focus on yeah um yeah it's interesting because I have the same approach to video games in which I started Pokemon Go long after it was cool. And (laughs) a lot of people, their interest wanes after about a year. But I was like, well, this is the rest of my life now. (laughs) And then I discovered Animal Crossing. And I guess I'm still going to be doing that when I retire as well. No, I'm a creature of habit. I understand that that fear of it it starting to go, though, because when we moved to Germany. My Italian was probably around a low intermediate level and I'd been working on it for four years. And most of that four years was not completely wasted. Of course I was learning things, but it was wasted making all the mistakes in how I learned. You know, I had perfectionism and I would just beat myself up over mistakes and I lost motivation and, and I had goals that were just unbelievably unattainable. So that was, it was a waste of mental time, not a waste of actual progress time. And so when we left Italy, so many people like, oh, you're going to keep going. You know, you're picking up German now. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to pick up German now. I'm going to be living there, but no, I'm, I I can't just let Italian go. One, we have friends there. And I I really desire to communicate with um, most of them speak English, but not all of them. And even the ones who do, it's wonderful to be able to send them an audio message in their native language. And then they send me an audio message back in English and it's wonderful. So I can't let that go. But then there's still that fear of, I still have Italian italki lessons where I forget a very basic word in Italian. And then I have to remind myself, I forget basic words in my native language every single day between the other two languages that I'm actively learning and kids who constantly interrupt my train of thought. Mm -hmm. I forget apple. I mean, table. It doesn't matter. And maybe something else will come out in another language. Maybe not. So it's normal and it's okay and not beating myself up over being like, oh, I'm, I'm just yeah. losing it. I'm losing it. And, and it's the same for my daughter. She had a video chat with one of her friends the other day and it was the cutest thing because her Italian is not what it was and it's okay. And she doesn't care. And her friend didn't care. Her this 10 year old girl was so patient with her on the phone, talking to her through stuff, reminding her of words. And it was so sweet. And my daughter kept saying, und all the time and in German Mm -hmm. over and over and half the time she would start a sentence in German and be like oh wait nope that's not the language I want and she was so calm about it and it just had this nice relaxing partially German mostly Italian conversation but she wasn't stressed about losing it yeah she didn't think anything of it that's the mentality that we all need to take on is yeah we may slide back we may not and it's okay it's all normal yeah, it's just you have to almost get to know it again. But it's not like starting from scratch. If you go back to it, it just takes a little while. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You have to trust your brain and your tongue. Yeah. Muscle memory in the mouth is a real thing. 
when it comes to speaking languages. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is that initial feeling of panic mm-hmm. rather than genuinely not knowing something. It's that feeling of just being almost paralyzed with, oh God, I've forgotten this. If I've forgotten this, what else have I forgotten? Maybe my mm. brain's just degenerating in some way. Maybe I'm going right back to the beginning. And it's amazing how quickly you spiral when yes. you forget something. And it's like, you can just almost brush away an entire language of progress um, because you forgot something. Yes. And I was going back today and looking at some of the post-it notes that you have for your podcast on Instagram. (laughs) So we haven't mentioned your podcast yet, but we will get there because it's my new favorite thing. And, but I was reading one that you were talking about the, the stones that get thrown. I don't remember the exact quote, but you know, you mess up a word and, and you throw it's, it's like a stone thrown at you and then something else happens and there's more the bit oh, this is what it's reminding me of so what I was talking about on that episode was about taking the pressure off doing things I was mm. saying that a lot of the stress that goes with speaking is because of the extra stones you put on it so the reason that people can speak so much easier when they're just in the house by themselves or when they've had a few beers or whatever some of it is about like um, relaxing and a lot of it is about not putting those extra stones on of what if I make a mistake what if I'm annoying what if my accent is really hard to listen to and what if there's an awkward silence and all of those things Mm -hmm. and it came from a video that I watched where a YouTube coach called Clark Kegley was saying that If you're just sitting on the sofa and you're tossing your mobile phone from one hand to the other, you know, you don't really think about it. You do it idly for hours. If it falls, it falls onto your lap. If you pick it up, you start again. Whereas if you do exactly the same motion on your balcony or over the railings of a bridge, you know, if you drop your phone, you're going to definitely have to buy a new one. It's going to cost you a fortune and you can't drop it. You mustn't drop it. And so that really easy motion that you weren't even thinking about on the sofa suddenly became really hard. And that was the episode that I think mm-hmm. you're referring to. I, yes, that's the exact one. And and it what we were saying reminds me of it's the same thing with, like you're saying, if if I forget a word, if it's just one word and I can move past it or just a few words and I can move past it and find another way, teach myself to find another way of describing things. It's perfect. But if I forget that word and then that's one stone and then I forget another one and that's like, it just keeps feeling heavier. Or then Mm -hmm. we're talking about what all is left to learn. The other day I focused on one single verb and I spent five minutes like really honing in on this verb because it's one that I get Mm -hmm. wrong all the time. Mm -hmm. And part of my mind was saying, why are you wasting your time on this one word? There's so many other things you could learn 15 new words in this amount of time, but no, I keep messing up this word. And I talk about, it it was about falling asleep. I talk about falling asleep often because I'm a mom and sleep is important. So it really does come up in conversation. It's important. But then the stone of, well, why are you wasting your time on this? And then there's another one of, but I really need to be focusing on subjunctive and I really need to be focusing on that. And then, oh my gosh, I haven't even gotten to this other topic it's just this pressure that we keep on ourselves if we if we dare to get unfocused on the task at hand that we decided was worth our time. Mm-hmm. We have to stay dedicated to that amount of time or to that focus without getting derailed and yeah. thinking of all the other stuff that's left to do or all the other stuff that we're forgetting. Yeah. 
I get that. I do. Now we can formally talk about your podcast. Tell us about Mm -hmm. the Language Confidence Project because it is really one of my favorite things. And I invited you on this show before knowing that your podcast was even going to come out. So this just makes it all the sweeter (laughs) is that we can talk about it. The Language Confidence Project is a roughly five minute daily podcast to help language learners basically just to get unstuck in their learning journey. Because I think one of the the biggest thing that takes people out of language learning, it isn't that they don't know what to do or what apps to use or what methods are better. It's that they genuinely don't believe it's possible or possible for them. It is a long journey, even when it's a language that's quite similar to your native one. And I wanted to do something to combat the loneliness and the self-doubt and all of those things that go into it. And and also to remind people every day that there is a whole person learning a language. So rather than just focusing on what methods, how to optimize, how to do it quicker or better, they need to not only take care of their whole selves, but get their whole selves involved in the process. So that's what I do every weekday. I love it. For me, I, now that the kids are still in school for another month, my morning routine is take the kids to school and then go for a long walk. And every single morning I start my long walk with the language confidence project. Actually, some days it hasn't released yet. Cause it's like eight o'clock in the morning for me. So some days I have to wait, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the first thing. And it gets me in. Usually I'll listen to um, a podcast in Italian or some German music while I'm on my walk. So I still, it, that's my, the beginning of my language time. And now mm-hmm. I have the language confidence project <laughs> to get me in the mindset. And it's like every single episode, you just, there's at least one quote, maybe the entire episode that speaks to me. It's all things that have been going on in my head of doubts I have or being a magpie for all the resources and just collecting everything and not being able to choose or spending so much time choosing what to study that I don't study or that I don't speak. And every single episode just comes with a brilliant truth and encouragement and your energy and they're short. You can listen to them anytime. Like I've listened to some of them two or three times because they're just so packed with positive stuff. What gives you the ideas of what to talk about every day? I feel a lot of feelings mm, and mm-hmm. I and it's not just I think most of what people struggle with in language learning isn't specific to language learning. Mm, it's starting mm-hmm. a business, it's starting a podcast, it's going on a fitness journey, it's literally anywhere where you're starting here and you want to go all the way over there and I I feel like there's a lot of universal stuff in there Um, so it it doesn't matter what language you're studying or why you're studying it you know whether you've moved to a foreign country whether you're a student the same things cause friction on the wheel and I've spent so much time looking for ways to express what's going on in my head. Mm -hmm. And I thought a lot of what language learners might need is the tools to say, that is what I'm feeling. That is the thing that's holding me back. Because a lot of the time we don't know why we feel uncomfortable or frustrated or Mm -hmm. things like that. And so we look for a solution maybe in, in the realm of a new product or a new teacher 
but sometimes the problems are more nuanced than that and mm -hmm. I think the more self-knowledge we have about how our language learning is affecting us the easier it is to figure out a solution that's probably not going to be a drastic one yes or like I said the solution may not even have to do with language learning itself my biggest thing was acknowledging my perfectionism and mm -hmm. finding ways to deal with it and yeah. like you said, that showed up in every single area of my life, whether I've been you know, lost weight in the past, whether I've gone to school, whether it doesn't matter what area of my life. And so when I finally started discovering how to learn languages best for me, I noticed some nuances of past me doing the same thing for successful weight loss or successful this or that. It's all the same stuff because they're core to me. And like you said, bringing the whole person concept in whatever core beliefs you have about yourself or how you do anything, whether it's language learning or school or being in a marriage. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever core mm -hmm. beliefs you have are going to affect every single one of those. So dealing with it in one area and realizing that yeah. you can deal with it in the same way in another area, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Using the word. So a close family member had a stroke a few years ago and I was there when the occupational therapist came mm -hmm. um, when when she'd come back home and she'd lost all use really of her left hand side. Her arm was just sort of hanging limply and the nurse said something that always stuck with me, which is your left arm isn't doing anything. Give it a job to do. And that has really stuck with me in terms of all the things that I think are holding me back or not doing what they're meant to be doing. It's about not only seeing it for what it is and accepting it, but also working out if we can give it a job to do to mm -hmm. see if it can actually, you know, help us out in some way, regardless of what's happened. So how do you apply the give it a job to do in your language time? So it's things like, and actually this is an episode that's coming out, um, when you've got a word list, that's something that doesn't come up that often. Like if you decide you want to learn the fruits and there's like 50 of them, you could sit there and memorize the fruits using flashcards and spaced repetition and all of the memory hacks that you've gained over the years, or you could give it a job to do. So you could go and set about making looking for recipes ideally in video format so that you can see the reactions of mm -hmm. people and it's more sensory you can make the recipe and then you can take pictures of it and post about it on social media in your language and then you can get comments going to and fro or you can take these fruits and you can look up some of the big issues regarding food production in the country or pesticides or things like that because people matter. And once stories are involved, mm. it is so much easier because something like fruits doesn't come up in conversation in the same way that travel does or family or work. Mm. And so it's the sort of thing that's quite easy to forget. But if you've attached it to real meaning in terms of the context of you and of other people, and you're emotionally invested in actually why fruits matter in mm -hmm. that language, and it isn't just a wordless that you've got to put up with until you can move on to the more interesting next chapter. 
it's so much easier to remember Mm -hmm. and it feels like a meaningful task as well because learning word lists for me when I was at university we did a lot of literary translation and we had to learn pages and pages of flowers and mushrooms and fabrics and because it was literary translation a lot of the vocabulary was stuff we were never ever going to use except Mm -hmm. in literary translation and there was a certain feeling of meaninglessness to it Um, but as soon as you can get it involved in things that you're genuinely curious about and things that make you able to create things with it as well. And not just um, a dialogue where you feel like you're going through the motions, but something you genuinely would have wanted to create, whether you're learning the language or not. Mm-hmm. It can be so empowering. And then through this, through videos or reading or any of that, you're getting the natural repetition that yeah. you would be getting if you're doing flashcards over and over, but now it's in an mm-hmm. engaging way. It's in a contextual way and you're getting the natural use of it in a way, like Mm -hmm. you said, that's connected to something that you'll remember. Yeah, because I think it's really hard. You can learn things through just memorizing, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to retain it, even with space repetition and all of the sort of um, pedagogical methods. It is so much easier when you've got emotion attached to it in a way that makes it feel like you're bringing something out of yourself by mm-hmm. learning those languages, I mm-hmm. think. This is interesting. This reminds me of, in, in Italian, I know the word for oak tree. How I know that, because my daughter had a homework assignment one time that talked about that. I didn't know the word. I looked it up. Oh, there it is. And then I came across it again later. But in that moment of, oh, that's an oak tree, I remembered at my parents' house growing up, they used to have a huge oak tree out front. Mm-hmm. And that tree was just a part of our lives. We talked about the oak tree. We talked about the squirrels on the oak tree and everything else. And so just that flash of a memory of yeah. the oak tree, as I'm reading it in Italian, like I came across it the other day and something reading, I'm like, oh, that's a word I know. Yes. A random word. How do I know it? There's that connection there somewhere. Yeah. It's very Proustian, isn't it? Yes. Yes. I think it's very <laughs> exciting because- I mean, you really feel like you're learning. Hmm, I don't know. It, it really boosts the confidence when you know random words. At least for me, it does. Even oh, yeah. if I can say, well, I know it because I know it because of this, but it boosts your confidence. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you don't need to embark on a massive project for every word list. The ones that are likely to come up in conversation a lot, like travel or work, you can go down the normal memorizing route, do it quite quickly, and then the words will naturally keep coming up anyway, just as you go about your business. But when you do have a topic that's either uninspiring or you don't think it's going to be easy to retain because it's one of the basic things like fruits where Mm -hmm. you think I mean when you think of a language exchange or the topics that would be brought up in a fruit lesson at school it's what's your favorite fruit well that's not very enlightening is it or maybe even do you like fruit juice I mean what what are you meant to do Mm -hmm. um what fruits grow in your country and none of those things when you're an adult with all of these experiences and stories in you if you don't have a a really like colorful childhood memory that you can attach to fruits lots of people won't Mm -hmm. then there's a whole list of things you can do to make fruits matter yes I like that so before we leave today what would be 
And I think you've already talked about this, but if you could sum it up in like one or two sentences, what would be your biggest advice to any language learner out there at any level, no matter where they find themselves right now today, what would be your, your top advice? I think it's really difficult to summarize without it sounding like a cliche. Um, generally, when people say things like, trust the process, I get annoyed. <laughs> because I'm like, well, how do you expect me to trust the process when I'm not there yet? I don't even have a process now. Yeah, what, what process anyway? <laughs> um, but I think it's not advice as much as to say you don't need to know what you're doing. You don't need to have this clear vision with all targets and smart goals and other goals. And it's fine to just do things in your language because you want to. Mm -hmm. And my second piece of advice, because that one wasn't really advice, (laughs) create stuff Mm -hmm. as much as you can, even if it's small things like an an Instagram post with one word and a background. That is so much better than nothing in terms of feeling like you're living and producing in your language. Um, Whatever it is, bring your art in, bring your music in, do journaling, just make sure that you're not just writing because your textbook gave you an exercise, but do stuff because you've got stuff to express. I love that. I love that. It is, it's 10.30 PM here and I'm getting ready to go to bed, but I don't know that I'll be able to shut my brain off after this conversation because you do, you give so many really good insights and obviously they come from years of experience as a teacher, being involved in language things, but also from your own stuff. Like I said, the things that you just see showing up in your own life over and over. And that brings such a real and down to earth aspect to it that you, you really can just touch anyone. And it's the message that I think so many of us need to hear, uh, whether we know it or not, (laughs) we can all benefit whether we are living our best language lives or not. We can still be reminded of these little things to, to just keep us grounded and keep us in this, in this reality that's not perfect Instagram posts and perfect study grounds, but just live the real life. Thank you so much for having me. I have so enjoyed our conversation this evening. Tell my listeners, tell our listeners where they can find you online anywhere. Okay, so I am on Instagram at at tea with Emily, tea as in the beverage, because I am a British stereotype, tea with Emily. My website is teawithemily.com as well. And my podcast is The Language Confidence Project, and it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait to, uh, to join you for another chat. Wow. After listening to that again, I'm feeling highly motivated about language learning. One thing Emily does so well is talk about the realities of learning a language, The way she discusses the nitty-gritty day-to-day mental and emotional challenges she's faced and that she's seen in her students and across the language learning community makes me feel seen. They make me feel normal as a language learner. Her experience learning Brazilian Portuguese through language exchanges is so fascinating to me. And whether that's my style or not, there's something to be said about the power of knowing what you want and going for it, finding the right support for what you want, and committing to do a little bit every day. Not to mention the power of just speaking 
and this is something I struggle with, and I'm going to talk about more next week. But Emily's journey and her insights are really motivating, and I don't know about you, but I feel like she can really reach language learners of all levels, circumstances, and personalities. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation today. Please check out Emily's work in the links provided in the show notes. You will not be disappointed. That's all I have for today. So until next time, ciao.